0: You're listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and non-binary femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. That intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. As previously mentioned, this is a reboot of my radio-free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world, not just Brooklyn. This episode, my guest is actress, director, and producer, Sarah Wagner. Welcome, Sarah. Hi,
1: thank you so much for having me, Christine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course, so happy to see you over Zoom. Not that our listeners will see you, but it's also nice to hear your voice. (laughs) All right, now for some bio time. Sarah, uh, bio time, Sarah Wagner is producer of Drawing Cats Productions and a New York City based director and actor. In the last year, Sarah has produced three stage readings, seven one-act productions, and a Black Lives Matter virtual protest. Dear listeners, I'll be dropping links to Sarah's work in the show notes, so definitely check out what she's got going on, For background, I met Sarah in A Sketch of New York, a sketch show produced and directed by Joe DiNazi at the Producers Club in Manhattan in January 2020, back when we did theater in person. (laughs) We friended each other on Facebook, as you do, and as I wrapped up my last couple of productions at the Broadway Comedy Club and Theater for the New City before the pandemic hit, I took note of what Sarah was doing. And then once the city shut down, I really took note of what she was doing and I was impressed. So Sarah, what was your aha moment for starting Drawing Cats Productions?
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Um, Honestly, it was the people around me, Um, my friends, other artists like yourself that I had friended on Facebook who were struggling after the COVID-19 pandemic started. Um, it really taught me a lot about myself because since moving to New York, the one thing I think people always told me was, well, if you're not getting cast, if you're not um, getting work, make your own, direct your own, write your own pieces. And I always went, I have nothing worthwhile to share of my own. I can't do it. I'm I'm going to apply for other people's things because I can't do it. But then Um, March happened and I think we were halfway through April and I just noticed so much sadness, so much devastation in the lives of people around me. People were confiding in me about how much they just wish they could do some sort of live performance, live theater again. And in an effort to find a solution I went well they can I can I can do something I can direct something for you and we'll live stream it and we can we can do theater and it was really an effort to to spread joy um in and the people around me
0: yeah I love that I love the generosity of spirit and and that impulse to want to help other artists too that's great so you based the name on a
1: Japanese fairy tale so story time what's that tale? Yes, yes, for everyone who's always wondered what Drawing Cats Productions means. Um, well, when we we were about to, uh, I say we, uh, my my partner, my fiance Dalton Gordon, and I, um, prior to directing our first show. I, we sat down at the dinner table and I said, we have to call it something. We have to have a name. We have to have a name for, if we're producing something, we have to have a name. And I'm getting panicked. And every idea I think of is just lame. And I'm getting emotional. I'm sitting there eating my dinner and in a pout. And Dalton, in an effort to cheer me up, starts telling me this story, completely unrelated, mind you. Um, And it's about, Uh, And and I might mess up some details, so I apologize if there's any uh, Japanese fairy tale aficionados listening that are going to say, that detail's wrong. But um, he told me this story about this little boy um, who lived in Japan. His parents were farmers, and all this little boy wanted to do was draw pictures of cats all day, every day. It's all he would do. And his parents would try to get him to farm, to help them out, clean around the house, work, do something to earn his keep to help out and he wouldn't do anything he would draw cats all day every day and in complete desperation and frustration they they send him to the monastery and they say okay kid if you're not going to work if you're not going to farm or do something useful then go to the monastery maybe you could become a monk so they send him to the monastery he gets there and he still won't do anything he won't um he won't pray. He won't um, recite the sutras. He won't do anything that's required of him. He will only draw pictures of cats. Um, so finally, the people at the monastery say, "Sorry, kid. You can't stay here. If you're not, you're not. You do not have it in you to be a monk. Uh, you have to go." And he's like, "Well, I can't. I can't go back home without without a job, without something. I'm going to disgrace my family." Um, So the monk says, well, there's a hermitage um, on the other side of town. Go there. Um, There's maybe somebody there who can help you. Um, But on your way, in your travels, beware of the giant goblin rat. Um, Keep to small places. Do not be out on the road at night. Um, This job, goblin rat is dangerous. So he says, okay, okay. And he goes to the hermitage and he gets there and there's no one there. Um, But instead of Going home or going back to the monastery, he draws pictures of cats all over the entire hermitage. And before you know it, it's sunset and nightfall. Um, And he's like, "Well, I have—I guess I have to stay here." And he makes a fire for himself, draws pictures of more cats, and then when it's time to sleep, he finds a little closet to hide into because he remembers the advice to stay to small spaces. So he goes into this little closet and curls up to sleep. And then in the middle of the night, he hears. Horrific sounds—he hears um, gnarling, he hears scratching, he hears hissing and fighting—and he's terrified. And then, when he wakes up the next morning and leaves his little closet, he notices that the giant goblin rat has been slain. It's lying dead, lying dead by the by the fire. And he looks at all of the little pictures of the cats that he drew. And they all have little blood stains around their little cat mouths, um, because the cats came alive in the middle of the night and saved him from the goblin rat. And the villagers came and they praised him for slaying this beast that had been plaguing the villages. And um, he became a very well-known and respected artist and was able to provide for his family by drawing pictures of cats. it's, so it's, a, it's really a beautiful story about how people who may not have respected art as much in the beginning um, grew to respect it and how the art was able to save the, this boy's life in particular, but also the village from this goblin rat that was, that was plaguing them. Um, and I heard this story and I just immediately went, we're drawing Cats Productions, this is perfect, we, we draw cats, we, we save people, we, we inspire people because we're creating Um, And I I thought it was absolutely perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that story. You're right. It is perfect. It is the perfect story for any artist. But especially now during this time when so many of us, even a year later, feel helpless. Maybe not always, but definitely once in a while, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Like we're useless. We don't have practical skills. Why aren't people paying us?
1: I should just oh, give this up and do something that makes me real money,
0: but no, keep drawing cats. No, it's a beautiful story. I'm so glad that you heard that story at that time too.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because in my head I went, oh, Dalton's telling me this because he thinks this will be a good title. I kept, I was trying to decide on the perfect title and I went, he thought of it. And then, and afterwards he was like, oh no, I just wanted to cheer you up. I thought this would be something to help you smile and inspire you. I wasn't even thinking about the title, but it works. It's perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, that's one of the beauties of storytelling is that people take what they want from stories. And for you, the takeaway was, oh, art saves. Let's do this. (laughs) And that's why we do what we do. So what was the first production that Drawing Cats put on?
1: Yeah, so our first production was a staged at home reading. Um, so it was a, a staged reading at home. My little play on words um, of a one act play called Curios by Chuck Gordon. The name sounds familiar. It is Dalton's dad. <laughs> um, he so kindly let us produce his work, and it was wonderful because because um, we were family. We were we had the rights and privilege to be able to to put that work on. Um, But it's a really, it's a wonderful piece. It's up on YouTube, public, anyone can, anyone can enjoy it. Um, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it without giving too much away about like what happens. Um, But I'll tell you the, the playwright's inspiration was um, the start of the play begins, the stage directions say at rise disaster. Oh um, wow. <laughs> and, he, and he kind of went from there like he has this bar with a TV smashed, um a woman crying, um a white man um painted red to support the Redskins um sports team. Um and then and then there is um a Native American man who sees this. Um and it's been so long since I directed, I think he has a gun. (laughs) I should know this, but it's been almost a year. Um, And he had this painting, he had this image in his mind, and he wanted to write that story.
0: Yeah, well, that's great for setting the scene, for sure. How did you find out about the play? Did he come to you with the idea when you started drawing cats, or were you asking around for plays? How did that work?
1: I had I had read them, um, yeah, because he he was family. I had I had read the plays in the past. Um, so when I was when I was trying to figure out what show you we were gonna do, I went, oh, I bet. Let me ask. I bet I could do one of these plays. One of these because they're really wonderful. Um, all of all of Chuck's work is something that I find completely um, smart and engaging. Uh, and it was such a joy to be able to direct it, even though it was virtual. <laughs>
0: Neat. So, listeners have probably experienced some form of virtual theater, but I shouldn't assume that. I wouldn't assume that because our listeners are really just all kinds of badass feminists and women lovers, sisterhood lovers. Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah. So, virtual theater can look so many different ways, too. Whether or not someone has seen a virtual production, it doesn't mean that that one production is like everything right or that every production looks that way so what do your productions look like what are the different forms they have taken
1: yeah yeah um so the one thing that was really important to me um was to make as many of my productions as possible live um there are a couple exceptions um we're going to talk about it a little bit later but one of the shows I did with Rogue Theater Festival was not live because of the scheduling. We filmed it in a theater. So that was filmed and then like streamed two months later, which is weird (laughs) watching something you did two months later. Um, But for all of the things that I, that I am directing and streaming, I really try to make them live. I think even though we're not necessarily sharing the same space and the same air, there's something electric about a live performance. There's something electric between the actors of not knowing if someone's gonna go up on a line or often they do in, in most live things that I have directed for Zoom so far, uh, somebody does. And it's not something the audience would ever notice. Like in typical theater, but you you have that moment between actors, that connection that they've built over rehearsals where they're able to cover for each other or able to ad lib something to fix the moment. And there's, there's an electricity there, there's trust between the people that they're able to do that. And that's all things that I think come out when you're doing a live performance. And while audience members might not be able to put their finger exactly on what that is, I think that electricity is apparent when you're watching something, even even though it's virtual. Having it be live to me just is as close as I think I can get <laughs> to to being back in a physical theater. Um, so that was some. That's something that's always been important to me. And as and the past year, as I've kept directing virtually, I started adding in more elements. Um, uh, the most recent show that I did, I've worked in sound cues. I I went, I, I don't have as much experience in sound, but I went and I learned how to do some basic sound editing and I got the cues that I needed and I built soundscapes and I figured out how to uh, share the sound over zoom and fade it in and fade it out so that I could have sound cues play just like you were in a theater. Um, And we had, I built a playbill. Like you can, there's a website where you can make your own like little virtual book. So I made like a playbill for the show. Um, We had, one of the things I was struggling with in the last show was, okay, you can't see the set. There is no set design I can necessarily do for all of these things. We hit that technological boundary. Um, But what I thought I might do, is for a pre-show slideshow, um, I was, I had somebody build pictures that resembled what the set might look like Mm -hmm. if it were in person, and, um, I had it, like, play through, like, a little slideshow before the show with the name of the show, the name of the actors, um, and then, like, the little blurb in the stage directions, Uh, Because with the stage reading, the first show that I did, we had uh, someone read the stage directions, read, okay, this takes place at a bar, this is happening. Um, But for the most recent show, I had it typed over this image so that it's kind of reminiscent to that feeling of um, you're waiting for the show to begin and you're staring at the stage and the set all, all ready to go and taking pictures of the set design before the show begins Um, so I wanted to recreate that and I'm constantly looking for little ways like that to recreate the feelings that we get when we go to the theater.
0: Yeah, well that's very clever and that's fantastic that you've also used this time to acquire new skills, uh, learn things that maybe you didn't learn in school or on any job, but hey, got some downtime now.
1: (laughs) This whole experience, honestly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So actually on that note, what were some of the creative challenges that you faced, creative and technical, I should probably say, uh, challenges that you faced and choices that you made for
1: drawing cats early on? Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I think technical challenges are the ones that come immediately (laughs) to my brain. Um, Wi-Fi is always, (laughs) always a challenge. You never know. You never know, especially with live performance. I mean, if it's pre-filmed and somebody's computer just shuts off on them, then you can just re-record it a different time. But if it's live and someone freezes, what do you do? And um, thank goodness I haven't had like a super bad, like somebody's frozen for five minutes um, happen. (laughs) Thank goodness. I I crossed my fingers. You cannot see. I hope that never happens. (laughs) Um, But it could, it could. And that's, Um, other than little things like maybe plugging your computer into an ethernet cable. I recently got a new computer that doesn't have a plug for an ethernet cable anymore because we're moving into a digital age. So that's not even an option for me, Um, but moving closer to the Wi-Fi router. And sometimes the internet just gets the better of you and somebody lags. um, And uh, the actors all do a wonderful job of covering when that happens. If it's some now there are there are shows being written that take place over Zoom. So I, I give actors agency. Like if somebody's frozen and the given circumstances of their lives is that it's a Zoom call, well then you can absolutely say, hey, you're frozen yeah. um, and recognize that. But if it's something that doesn't take place over Zoom and I do, I do try to direct shows that don't necessarily take place on Zoom, mm-hmm. then it can be a little bit more of a difficulty. I guess that would be a creative challenge is picking shows, because there are shows yeah. that I've come across I would love to do, but if I can't do them justice over Zoom, then I can't do them at this time. And There are some shows that I read that were not intended for Zoom, and I put them in Zoom a Zoom format. And I go, wow, oh, this works. This changes it, but it works. It's amazing how adaptable this script is. And then there's other scripts that might require a lot of intimacy or a lot of stage combat or choreography or visuals that I can't at this moment think of a way to replicate that would do the story justice. And at the end of the day, I have to think what, what does the script justice? How is the best way to tell this story to people, to tell these character stories to people, and am I able to do that? And if I'm not able to do that at this time, then I put it on a back burner or pass on it for the time being until I feel like I'm able to tackle that and do that story the justice it deserves.
0: Yeah, no, I would love to hear some of your thoughts about what makes for a good Zoom play? Like, what are some of the elements you might see in a script or even just a concept that would work well on Zoom, even if they don't take place in Zoom?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, now, now I am thinking. Um, what makes for, I mean, as I, as I kind of mentioned things that I don't make, I think it's easier to say what doesn't make like yeah, something yeah, yeah. Sure, a sure. lot of contact with another person. Like Was, physical um, contact. Physical yeah. contact. Like there are, there's a certain, to a certain extent you can um, have somebody like I can hold a cup and pass my hands off screen and somebody can have a similar cup and pick it up off their screen and and it looks like I handed you the cup through the zoom. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but if there's a lot of physical contact, there gets to be a point where it's a lot harder to replicate. Um, some things, what are some things I've had to deal with? Well, when some shows that I have seen talking about virtual theater, I've seen other people who, have actors film it themselves, like, pre-record their entire show as if it's one big monologue. (laughs) You're not playing with anyone, you're filming it. And then they take that film and they edit it together. So they'll edit the two people and they'll edit the person's hands, like, onto the other person's, one actor's hand onto, like, the other actor's body, like, through technical editing software. And that's really cool because it does give you some more freedom with the physicality that you can do um but that takes away the live aspect because that's all pre-filmed pre-recorded um and the and as I mentioned for me personally the live aspect is something that I really treasure yeah so um some
0: the pre-recorded aspect then it really does get more into film and video language than it does theater language and what we think of as live performance. So I I understand why you're uh, you have this need to stick to live performance. That makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I had I had words about an example of <laughs> of a show that would. That ended up working well for Zoom and at the moment I lost my words. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's me. That's
0: all on me. I'm so sorry. Okay, well if it comes back to you, let me know. Um, could you talk about some of the highlights of running Drawing Cats?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, biggest highlight, hands down, has been meeting people. Um, one of the incredible joys of doing this in a virtual age is getting to work with people all over the place who I would never have had a chance to work with just in New York City. Um, I've, I've gone to cast actors from Chicago, I've gone to cast actors from Texas, uh, California, uh, Florida, um, I've gotten to meet playwrights in the search for new work to produce. Um, I've come into contact with some really wonderful individuals that I that have become friends of mine now, that we're, we're continuing to collaborate on future projects, um, people that have really enriched my life in such a fulfilling way that I would have never met if never put in this circumstance. Um, yeah, I know I've met oh, so many people in the last year. <laughs> it's incredible. And to think that, I've met all these people stuck in, in quarantine in a bedroom. It's um, <laughs> <is> really fascinating <laughs> to me, but it happened and I am incredibly grateful for it.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. How have you met most of them?
1: Um, auditions. <laughs> I, I, um, I've put auditions now on Playbill and on Backstage in an effort to, because when John Cat started out, it was mostly... In my in a close knit group of actors that I knew, um, the first couple shows I didn't even hold auditions. I just went, who who could do this part? Who do I? When I read a script, not everyone does this. I've I've talked to Dalton, and he's like, I I'm not me, I can't do this. But I read a script, and almost immediately I hear a voice in my head. It's like the the characters talking, and I go, whose voice is that? And I go, oh, that's my that's my friend Rebecca's voice. I hear her voice as I read this first read through. Um, so I'm able to really quickly almost be like, yeah, no, I think this, this person really could bring something unique and special to this role. Um, and then in an effort to expand and meet new people and also give opportunities to different people of different backgrounds, um, different, um, all, I mean, I, I actually haven't worked with anyone outside of the United States yet. So I would love to, oh my goodness, if you <laughs> hit me up, um, partnership. Um, but I, I've advertised on Playbill and backstage, and I've met so many wonderful people, so many actors, primarily from those websites that I enjoy working with, that have been so professional and so kind, and that I would cast again and again. Um, I have friends of mine that work in other theaters and other casting um, agencies that will watch and be like, oh, who's this person you cast? Tell me about working with them. And it's so cool to be able to be such a positive influence and, and the, the connections that are made between people. Um, as for playwrights, uh, there's a website called New Play Exchange, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and I made a producer's account on there for Drawing Cats Productions. And I met I met a wonderful playwright through there. Um, a bunch of playwrights have submit, submitted. And I, oh, I just love reading work. That's another highlight is getting to read so many new plays. I mean, as an actor as well, it's so enriching being able to um, – be one of the first like this is a new play in 10 years you don't know where this is going to be but i'm one of the first people reading this it's so enriching um also early on in quarantine there was this thing called the quarantine bake-off where this these group of students actually would um give like a set of words and you'd have to write a play including like all six words and then submit it to them and then like the winners would be streamed on youtube um And I I started following this page in an effort of like, maybe I'll write something. And I ended up meeting somebody else. And she's been, we've actually worked together pretty consistently since June up until now. And she's currently directing um, a cabaret that we have in production. So that is somebody who I don't think I ever would have met if not for COVID, who has become such a foundational part of Drawing Cats Productions and who I can rely on um, to help with advertising, to help with directing. So yeah, those are two websites or three websites, Playbill Backstage, New Play Exchange, if you haven't heard of them and you're interested in New Play Exchange. If you just want to read new works, if you're not affiliated, if you're not a director, you're not an actor, but you say, I love reading and I'd like to read some new plays, you can make a reader's account on there um, and read new plays as they're being written, which is so phenomenal. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, it is. That's the sort of thing that you wouldn't get to do unless you were in school or a playwriting developing like development program at a theater and those kind of aren't happening right now (laughs) oh my okay i i don't want to put you on the spot again (laughs) i am tempted to know just a little bit about if in trying to find new people and new plays you changed any of your social media behavior from before the pandemic like not just in terms of promotion. I think that's what a lot of creative people have done differently during this time. But in terms of making connections, um, thinking about future creative projects, are there like, what kind of research have you done? Or what kind of different connections or strategies have you had in mind? Or has it been more random? Like, oh, this thing came up in my feed. And I can use that or oh this person knows so and so I want to see who they are what
1: (laughs) yeah uh um So in terms of social media, I mean, I have my, I have my private accounts that are for me as a person and I don't really change what I do there because they're, you, you have to be my friend to be on my private account <laughs> uh, or at least work together. Once I, once I've worked with somebody and directed them and then the show's over, i totally fine network having that network opportunity sending them that friend request for friends now i i i'm somebody who from a very young age i've been told i could be friends literally anybody um but then i also have public pages like the drawing cats page which is public and that that definitely is something um i'm a lot more hyper aware of what i post what i say what should be posted um we've been Learning, learning about marketing and publicity. Like you mentioned, I knew nothing about marketing and publicity before this pandemic. And I took, there were so many free workshops and free seminars about it. And I went to every single one I possibly could. And I've learned a lot about it. Um, I I have much knowledge I have yet to even put out into the world because there's so much that I've learned in terms of free classes, which is another wonderful perk. Like, not to say that the pandemic, the pandemic has been devastating for a lot of people, but the amount of free resources that have come out of it has been incredible, yes. um, that wouldn't normally be available to people. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I mean, I guess in terms of finding people, this is the first time I've ever actually had to run auditions and cast something from like a large pool of strangers and individuals and up to this point I'd been an actor submitting (laughs) and so it's it was learning experience for me being on the other side of the table being able to see like I've definitely changed the way I submit as an actor based on submissions that I've received as a casting director and as a director (laughs) um but I think uh, I don't know. I'm that, no, that's fine. Okay. That's enough.
0: I got what I needed. You okay. <laughs> curiosity at least for the time being. Uh, tell me about Sunset Limited at the 13th yes. Street Rep Theater, part of the Rogue Theater Festival, and your New York City directorial debut.
1: Yes! Oh, I love Sons yeah.
0: Unlimited.
1: Also, how wild is it that my in-person, like, went to a theater and directed a New York City debut happened during a pandemic when theaters <laughs> are closed? It was wild.
0: Yeah, so how did that work?
1: How did, yeah. how did so, you
0: out about the festival? Everything. I want to hear everything.
1: <laughs> want to hear everything. All right. Um, so Rogue Theater Festival absolutely incredible. Um, I highly recommend um, checking them out. They're such a wonderful um, organization. Um, they're actually su- accepting submissions for plays for the upcoming season. So if you're a writer, look, be, be aware of them. Um, but um, a colleague of mine, uh, Michelle Prevett, we've, we've worked together a lot in the past um, and she's also, she was also um, a mentor for me as I was in college. Um, so we've, we've known each other for a little while. Um she had submitted her play, Sunset Limited, to Rogue Theater Festival. They accept submissions from new playwrights, um, as sort of sort of like a like a contest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they read all the submissions and they pick the winners of the of this get to have their play produced in New York City. And typically before, when there's not a pandemic, it's in person. You go to Thirteenth Street Theater. It's like almost almost like a French festival, I want to say, but not quite. Like, you can go and you could see a bunch of different one acts that have been, that are brand new, never been produced before, um, which is such an exciting experience. Um, so Michelle got her play chosen to be produced, was ecstatic immediately. It was like, Sarah, I want you to direct it because I've seen what you've been doing with Drawing Cats, and I, I think you'd be a good fit. And I went, oh my gosh, I would love to. And then... Rogue Theater Festival said, "Okay, we can do this two ways. We can have it be a virtual Zoom show, or if you're in the area, you can come to the Thirteenth Street Theater and film it there, and we will um, take the film and show it with the with the rest of the shows." And I immediately went, "I've I've done the Zoom thing. I would like to do the in person thing. <laughs> Let us do the in person thing." Um, so. Uh, jumping into like the day of the show, it was so wild because um, any other show that I've directed or performed in usually has about a tech week. Um, yeah. Anyone who's in theater knows the the term tech week. It's, and it, for anyone who doesn't, it's before a show, you have about a week of rehearsals that are primarily primarily the introduction of different technical elements. It's the first time lights are often brought into the equation, microphones and sound. Um, cues, music, um, costumes, all these different things are brought in in one week. And you have a week to kind of work out the kinks, work out the timing of when a cue or a light turns on or a sound turns on and really make everything um, flawless, everything flow. I didn't have that um, because of, because of the time everyone was allotted an hour and a half in the theater space. What? Um,
0: Wait, how long was the play? How many minutes total?
1: Uh, 20 minutes. It was 20 minute, one act. So uh, 20 yeah.
0: minutes was part of your hour and a half block? Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. So we, we had our own props. We couldn't use, in the past, typically you're allowed to use the theater's props if they have any furniture or anything, but because of COVID, you can't people can't be touching things. So, you know, they had to work down to a system where a show would load in, they'd have their own props and costumes and set pieces, everything they needed. They'd load it in, set everything up on the stage, um, set up the camera, set up lights, set up sound, and film it they did they do like one run through like a test run to just like test the cues make sure everything goes and then one to two like film solid run throughs if you could fit two we only got one <laughs> um but we wanted to two, like filmed run throughs of the show and then you leave and then they sanitize Lysol everything <laughs> and, and time for the next show's hour and a half to pop in and like, it, they had it down to a science. Like if you were coming in, you entered through the front door and you'd exit out the back door as somebody was like coming in through the front door. Like, so you weren't like, people weren't like coming into contact. There were masks unless, aside from when the camera was rolling, the actors um, had their masks off when the camera was rolling. But other than that, everyone had masks and gloves. Like I was, so, I felt so safe and it was very professionally handled. But the idea of like having an hour and a half to just set everything up an hour and a half in the space, never having rehearsed in the space before was definitely a challenge. (laughs) Um, But I'm jumping around. I'm jumping around. Um, That's but that's essentially how the the process worked in terms of Rogue Theater Festival.
0: well, so then how did you prepare your cast for this event? So tell me about the rehearsal process and coordinating logistics with them so that they would be ready for this hour and a half of time you had in the theater.
1: Yes, yes. All right. So um, uh, I wanted to cast somebody who I knew and had worked with before, especially for this project, a project where – it comes down to an hour and a half and where um, things were so unconventional, I wanted somebody that I knew was uh, professional and responsible who I can really trust. Um, so I went with one, an actress that I had cast in my first show that I mentioned, Curios, she was cast in that show, um, Denise Stephanie Mendoza wonderful human being. Um, so I immediately went, okay, she's my Gabriel. I have that as if she accepts. If she doesn't accept, I find somebody else, but she's, she's my Gabriel. Um, and then I had to find her counterpart, Devil Bill Adams. And I started looking through everyone I knew, anyone I'd worked with before trying to find the right person. And then um, I remembered that uh, Denise's partner, um, boyfriend, I believe they are boyfriend-girlfriend currently, um, Spencer, Stevie, um, is also an actor. And I found him on backstage. I watched his reel and I was like, okay. And um, luckily they both accepted the role, which was amazing because they lived together as as a couple. So um, there wasn't that sense, like in rehearsals they, they didn't necessarily need to have their masks on around each other. They could get close to each other in a safe way because they lived together and they were already sharing that same space. So um, instead of um, broadening people's COVID bubbles, being able to work with a real couple was so, worked out so wonderfully. And also the chemistry between them was perfect <laughs> in the script. So ideal choice. Um, most of the rehearsals took place over Zoom. Um, but you know, they, we set up, they'd set up a little, a little cell phone on like a tripod and, and in their living room. And, um, as, as, um, myself and as Michelle would, um, chip into the budget to order, um, like set pieces, like we ordered like a little, like cheapo bar from Walmart for them and they'd, they'd ship it to their house and they'd set it up in their apartment and be like watching watching them through, through like watching a film, through a TV, being able to watch them work. But they were close enough that um, that we were able, I was able to direct them in an easier way. Like they were able to make contact with each other. They were able to really do things to each other in ways that you can, if they were separate. Right. Um, and then I was able to visit um, a couple times and have, we had a few in-person rehearsals. Um, before the show, I want to say we had a total of three or four in person rehearsals before we the the hour and a half a big filming day at the theater <laughs> um, but the it was nice we had the set we had the bar, we had props I went thrift shopping um, they went thrift shopping for costumes, and we all we all um, were able to have aside from the actual space they walked on and lights, we were able to have a pretty clear picture of how the show was gonna go before we
0: got to the theater. That's great. That's all incredibly organized. Again, applause for you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then what did you learn from directing Sunset Limited, and what sort of plays do you hope to direct in the future?
1: Yeah, um, honestly, the biggest thing I learned was trusting myself and trusting my gut and having self-confidence. Um, like that, that moment of an hour and a half and having people approach me in, I mean, it's an hour and a half, but at least an hour, well, we'll say 40 minutes minimum of that is performance. Um, we had about 20 to 30 minutes to set it up. So 20, 30 minutes of which lights do you want here? What color lights? What part of the stage do you want to set it up in? That's something that I I hadn't even thought about before I got there um, because it was filmed. Like in my head, I'm picturing like, oh yeah, they do it on the stage, you face the audience, blah, blah, blah. Like I'd like through a real show, but I got there and because it was filmed, they were like, oh no, we can set the tripod up anywhere. We can have it. Yeah. And we ended up doing it like facing. So like, instead of standing on the stage facing the audience, they were standing on like um, stage right facing stage left. And we set up the camera on stage left. So you saw like the brick wall and the side and the, so it was oriented in a different way than I, and I didn't even know that was an option. Like, Oh, of course it's film. You don't have to do it in the typical proscenium, uh, Way yeah. but we we 've all flipped on its side, but I had to make a lot of snap decisions in in about twenty minutes, and i'm used to in in my directing experience um, giving everything like like a fair go like i 'm very much somebody who'd be like, Oh.' the, the pinks or the blues. Well, let's try pinks one day and blues the next day. And then I'll pick which one I liked better after watching them both. And there was no time for that. It was, I needed to know, I needed to make a decision right then and there, pink or blue. And it had to come out of my mouth like that. And it it was such, I had, I, I kept coming back to like this little self mantra of, well, I always ask myself, what's, what's, best for the show right what which decision which thing will make this show more accessible to the most people and I kept telling myself trust my gut it's what I I I am somebody who's competent I'm somebody who's smart I'm somebody who's experienced and I can make an educated decision right now yeah and it, I walked out of that theater a different person <laughs> after making so many snap decisions. And I'm not Not all of them were good ones. There were definitely things where I went, oh yeah, should have made the other one, should have went the other way, but here we are and we're gonna work with it. We're gonna keep moving forward and make this as best as it can be. Um, and every show after that, I've, I feel like I've had a little bit more confidence in myself, even just in daily life, walking around, going to the, to the grocery store, I feel like I've been a more confident person after that day.
0: That's a great point. <laughs> uh, well, actually, on that note, so directing is still very much a male-dominated field, and I think that does, unfortunately, go to your point about confidence and how often little girls are not raised to have the same kind of confidence and self-esteem as little boys, So what attracted you to directing and what advice do you have for other women who are interested or might possibly be interested in directing?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Well, you say possibly. Like, I did... When I... I did not think I would be a director. I did not think I would be a producer. If you talked to me four years ago and said, Sarah, you're going to have your own production company, I would have said, hell no, I'm not interested in that at all. I'm not an entrepreneur. No, I'm not a producer. But here I am. And I love it. (laughs) Definitely try it. Definitely try it and try it again. Because I didn't, first time I directed, I went, this was stressful. there's, There's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and I am stressed. And then the second time I directed, I went, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. And then the show happens and I went, oh my gosh, these people created this. Like (laughs) I'm watching, I'm watching my actors perform. And I went, they, they, they watching them grow from day one to day, whatever the show happened (laughs) was incredible. I witnessed growth happen before my eyes in a way you don't witness when you're the actor. You can't watch yourself when you're the actor. But when you're the director, you watch somebody grow every day and it's like it's like it's like having a baby. It's like having a child like every day even though they're only growing minuscule amounts each day, you don't necessarily, every day your child looks a little bit taller, and I'm not a mother, but I I have family who are babies, and I go, you're so tall, I visit, I visit my niece and my nephew, and every month, I'm like, why have you grown 10 feet, stay, stay baby, uh, but it's that sort of pride, watching an actor perform that you've directed, and that you've seen how much they've discovered over a course of a rehearsal process is so humbling and so mind blowing. And I was, I was so proud of them. And I went, Oh, I love, I love, I love watching people perform like this. And then, and then the third time I directed, I was, I was sold. I was like, this is, this is something I want to do. This is, um, you know, having I approaching a piece with a set idea of how you expect it's going to go set goals. Like this is my goal. This is my approach. This is, this is, this is the message I wanna to convey to the audience. Okay, here we go. And then um, watching all the surprising things that actors and the designers have to bring to it, things that I never would have expected. People come in and they make a choice that completely surprises me. Like I did not imagine the show, that line. I did not imagine that line being performed in that way at all but it's wonderful and it's better than anything my mind could have came up with and being able to witness these discoveries and be surprised coming in each day with a goal. Like, okay, my goal for today is to get this scene to like seven out of 10. And then it's, they, my, my goal is completely exceeded. And I'm like, "Ah, I love you guys. You're amazing. (laughs) It's such, it's such a wonderful experience being, like, I feel like I plant the seed, but it's only, it's only the partnership and the collaboration with playwrights, actors, designers, stage hands, uh, stage managers, all of the people who water that seed and make it grow into something so much better than I could have imagined it to be. And that is so addicting for me in every way. <laughs>
0: well, um, I was going to say, maybe give yourself a little bit more credit. <laughs> still you're still as the director leading a lot of that growth and then providing feedback as discoveries are made oh absolutely hey absolutely I I like what you did there but maybe with this you need to continue with that whatever you know Oh,
1: absolutely yes (laughs) not every choice is that's brought into the rehearsal room is the best choice but that's (laughs) that's, (laughs) that is my job to to um I am the audience before the audience comes in, and i I am able to um direct it uh-huh, uh-huh. into into a into a direction that i that is more entertaining and more interesting to watch absolutely yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking best case scenario the moments that make me come back for more are the the super special ones <laughs> yeah um but advice, oh my gosh, all right um Definitely, like, I mean, when I first started, when I directed my first production with Drawing Cats, I mean, gosh, when I directed before Drawing Cats, I did not think that I would be here. I did not think that I would know playwrights from across the country, actors from across the country, did not think that I would be starting to um, make, make, make um like build a company in the sense of like income, like not necessarily towards me, but we're starting, Drawing Cats Productions is starting to um, gain some revenue to the point where I might be able to start paying actors. That's my number one goal at this point is the next show I direct, I wanna be able to pay all of my actors like a decent stipend for their work and their time. Um, and the fact that that's starting to come into fruition is incredible. Yeah. Um, but you don't actually have to have that goal to get started. Cause I didn't, I went, well, what's something that I can do right now that will help people. Um, so my advice would be to direct something, get your group of friends together. They don't even have to be actors necessarily, as long as they have an appreciation for the spoken word, um, for, for new work, for old work. Um, they if they, if you trust them to read something get them get them around on a zoom call have them read something and and direct them see what happens if they if uh, what different ways you can communicate with them to get them to um take direction and it's definitely a learning process i mean myself directing curios and myself directing sunset limited were two very different sarah's and i i learn each production different ways to communicate with people and what ways of communication work. And it's different for each actor. Some actors communicate differently than others. And it's very much being aware in that moment of, okay, that, what I just said did not click for you. Let me find another way to convey what I want to convey without prescribing, without saying, you're going to do this. Like Mm -hmm. I always try to make it a little bit more like, I never, I try not to prescribe specific things. Um, It's more, I try to go more in the direction of let's try a different choice. Can you make a different choice Mm -hmm. than what you just made as opposed to do this thing indefinitely? Um, But definitely start Mm -hmm. out directing, have fun with it. It doesn't have to be anything big. Also watch other directors. Um, Something that I watch and I I rewatch every, because my brain is, hot mush and i forget things a lot so i have to like rewatch it every like few months um but there's this wonderful documentary called the top dog diaries um and it's about a really wonderful playwright susan lori parks um uh and it's it's a documentary about her play and its trip to getting produced um but you get uh you get to watch there's footage of the director of the of the process of how she communicates with the director, how the director communi- communicates with her, communicates with the actors. And it's so eye-opening and it's such a wonderful documentary. I love it so much. Um, so find documentaries that have directors directing actors and listen, okay, how did that director talk to them? Okay, did they did they take the note? Did they seem like they took the note or um, d- did they not? Did the did the director have to give the note again in a different way? Also in, if you're an actor, or even if you're not an actor, if you want to direct, start acting, start auditioning for some things for fun, and pay attention to how your directors talk to you, how they talk to the other people. Um, and each director, I think, has their own different phraseology. Um, and me as a director is kind of an amalgamation of all the directors that I've had, moments that have worked for me. Um, moments where somebody has given me a note and I went, oh, the way they explained that was so clear for me. I understood that. And I really liked, I really liked this exercise. I'm going to use this with other people. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm going in circles, but watch, but come into contact with other directors. Um, also read. Read a lot, read plays. If you want to direct, read a lot of plays. Classics, read classics, read new plays, new play exchange, read all the new plays that you can. Um and don't just read like read them for enjoyment. Like I feel like first read through is always reading to see how a play infects you. What does it make you feel? Um, what did you enjoy about it, and then read it a second time and try to see what's what is this play about? What is this play about in one word? And try to figure that out for each play that you read. Those would be my three, my three advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's all wonderful advice. The one I don't hear often enough is read. (laughs) It's true. And that's great advice for really any profession. Just keep learning, just keep trying to find out more and get different ideas.
1: Absolutely. And not just plays too. Like it's, that's, that's probably the thing that I need to work on most as a director. I mean, I have, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I live in New York area now. Um, And I I've gone on a road trip to the grand Canyon and back. And that was my big adventure of my lifetime. But I've directed shows that have taken place in Texas and I've never really been to Texas. Um, I, there are people in the shows that I haven't exactly met before. But if you read, if you read literature, if you read the best lists, and if you keep reading and then you go to direct a show, you'll recognize you, like, oh, I read a book that took place in this area and I recognize, or I know this character because they were. I read about someone so similar in this other book and I remember their motivations in the book and I can see how it would apply to this character. And the more you read, the more you'll get to know different, different characters, different people, different places and be able to tie them all together.
0: That's an excellent point. Yeah, no matter how many adventures you've had, you can't do everything in life and reading can take you all sorts of places. Yes! <laughs> so I also wanted to talk about your fiance, Dolph <laughs> and how he helps you, how you collaborate on drawing cats. I just wanna know more about that relationship. Uh, A lot of people say that they can't work with their romantic partners. Uh, So I'm also curious like what makes it so that you can work together?
1: Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, I definitely, I would not say everybody could work with their romantic partner, but I'm really blessed that I can. Um, Dalton, <laughs> Dalton is so wonderful. And he, um, he's also, he's, he's an actor. He's also a director. Um, he's um, actually, he's a state, uh, really into stage combat. That's kind of where we differ. I enjoy stage combat, but he's a, he wants to be a fight choreographer and choreograph um, movement and fight sequences. Um, but I feel like we, we know how to fill in each other's gaps, I guess, creatively. Um, he's, he's a bit older than me and he's, and he's lived in different places. So a lot of times he's able to fill in gaps that I have in, in knowledge about a certain character or a certain place or in vice versa. Um, I feel like we complement each other just perfectly. We also speak the same language. I think in terms of directing. I mean, we 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 differ a little bit, um, but we're both foundationally um, come from a Stanislavski approach to directing. If um, for anyone who doesn't know that there's it's an it's an acting approach. Um, uh, one of them, there's a few Stanislavski, Meisner, Hagen, but, um, we're both firmly rooted in Stanislavski, so even though, even though we might do things in completely different ways, because we were rooted in that same approach, we understand each other in a way, like, we understand what we're trying to do with actors if we're directing at the same time, it's like, I understand how, what he's saying, what he's trying to communicate, um, um actually and believe it or not uh he is in grad school right now he uh, he is doing all of the homework all of the time so um drawing cats productions has been a one woman show (laughs) since about sunset limited my last my last two productions that i've directed have been have been just me um he did design the poster for sunset limited which i'm really proud of he's he's I do not have the knowledge in the graphic design. He has the knowledge in the graphic design (laughs) that I don't have. Um, um, But so I've been been taking a little bit more of a hands-on approach with Drawing Cats and he's been supporting me when I am, I'm so blessed to have somebody when I, when I, a rehearsal ends and I just need to talk about it. Somebody that understands what I'm saying. Like, I feel like, Um, some people, I know a lot of people feel like they can't have a significant other who's also in the arts or also does the same thing. But I feel like if I were engaged to like a doctor and I went, Oh, rehearsal happened. And I said this, and then they said this, that the doctor would not understand what I was saying or what I was trying to communicate. A dolphin goes, Oh yeah, you might try communicating it this way. And I go, that makes sense. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so mutual understanding i guess and support um having somebody he makes the last show i directed any of the actors could tell you like i would be here i i would be at my laptop for like 10 hours a day and dalton would come in periodically with like plates of food and like coffee and tea and like set them down at my desk and be like here you go (laughs) and i don't know what i would do without somebody who could pick up like Pick support me by feeding me in my times of overwork and vice versa if he's in a show or if he's really busy with finals like I bring him dinner so we have a really nice um partnership in that way
0: yay all right I want to go to the last thing this new project you have in the works
1: stage yeah. cat gifts what's that all right stage cat gifts it's going to be um a merchandise company um basically i don't know if anyone who's been involved with theater can relate to the idea of opening night gifts they're a big thing in my experience you know um stage managers often get gifts for the cast directors might get gifts for the cast you might get gifts for the director and um uh, i i stage cat gifts is going to be your one-stop shop to get Opening night gifts. I'm in the process of making like personalized opening night cards um, with uh, personalized graphics for each for shows. Um, so you can get a card for like everyone from the stage manager to the lighting designer to the technicians, like all in one stop. Um, I'm looking into making my own um, tea bags. So I feel like when you 're performing um a lot of times your throat might get a little scratchy, and you need like a nice calming tea bag so i 'm looking at making my own like little tea bag blends that can you can get um um embossed pencils like uh, pencils that say the name of the show or the name of like the actor and the role that they played um, so you can personalize like pencils for like the the actor or the the person that you want to get them for um merch like t-shirts sweatshirts that can all be printed with um the the show's logo or the production company um, specific names i'm looking at getting some um, mugs stickers personalized stickers mm-hmm. so like you could theoretically get like a little gift basket with a personalized pencil mug tea bag and a t-shirt and a sticker and give it to anyone in the show company that you like want to support or want to thank for their hard work um And as opposed to going to all these different stores trying to get like all these things or find the perfect gift, like you can all get it in this one place. And um, I'm hoping that proceeds from Stage Cat Gifts and More can help fund drawing cats and um, allow me to really be able to pay, um, like pay actors uh, and uh, playwrights and designers a livable wage for working with us and help grow the company and be able to do some bigger and better things in the future. Um, yeah, yeah
0: I'm really I love it. All yes. right, well, that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you so much, Sarah, and dear listeners. Thanks for choosing the Badass Lady Folk Podcast. I know you have so many choices for your podcasts and other forms of entertainment and content more than ever in the history of humankind. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me and Quail Bell Press and Productions in the show notes. Tune in next time.